yeah, I don't know. I just, in general, I'm a big fan of trying to get more arts out there where people are just going to kind of encounter them in their everyday lives. Totally. You know, I love going down to the art center or, you know, I go to poetry readings sometimes, but that's because I'm already seeking that stuff out. And right. You want to reach people who aren't necessarily already seeking that stuff out. And I love the accidental, like the trip up into poetry. Yeah. Welcome to In the Act. Thank this you. Is, um, this is our t- 11th, <laughs> 11th show. And um, so um, it's a radio program on process and it's about the creative life. Creativity does not just start and stop with artists. We all make aesthetic or guiding decisions, and our aim is to talk through these processes and investigate how we choose to express ourselves and live creatively. We are connecting with people about their lives, and that's the subject of our show. So broadcasting from Mead Public Library in Sheboygan, Wisconsin on Mead Community Radio, I'm Erica Hunsinger, and this is In the Act. Today's guest is Annalisa Fink. Finka. Finka. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. It's got the little accent on the end. (laughs) Fantastic. Annalisa Finka. Welcome. Thank you for being on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So um, uh, we were really excited to have you on. We were kind of like, (laughs) yay, when is Annalisa? When can we have her on? So thank you for being on the show. And now I've got to say insightful things. (laughs) (laughs) You always do, as usual. (laughs) But I th- the the driving thing when I think about you uh, creativity creative creatively ooh, all right morning <laughs> uh, is your love of poetry your want of sharing poetry writing it being within it um, and I was wondering if we could maybe start there with your with your love of it and yeah. um. Both of my parents were, this is like the most vague way of putting it, involved in English literature. I mean, my mom was a short fiction writer. She still is. She doesn't do it as much anymore as she did when she was younger. Um, And she was also an English instructor. And then my dad was more on the, the... essay or analysis side of things. So he wasn't a creative writer, but he studied English um, and then also became an English professor and then an English instructor. So writing and reading were always a big part of my childhood, but also just sort of telling stories. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, um, one of the things that my dad would do was we would tell bedtime stories like back and forth to each other. Uh-huh. So it would alternate every night where this is the night where he's going to continue the story and say what happens next. And then the next night I'm going to continue the story and say wow. what happens next. Um, and it was a lot of fun. So that sort of creative stuff was always a part of my childhood. And that I think that's probably where it comes from. Oh, for sure. Wow. I love the idea of of continuing the story. Like I thought yeah. maybe you guys like encapsulated your own story each night, but like continuing it is a much different it's collaboration, really. Oh, I had a uh, <laughs> stuffed dragon that I really really loved and we had the story of how this uh it, it was like our take on Rudolph. 
Awesome. Where, for whatever reason, Rudolph was not around to save Christmas. So Santa asked this dragon to, yes. to lead them because it could breathe fire and light up everything and clear the fog away. And perfect. They could deliver all the presents. Well, yeah, steamy. And then, yeah, so my stuffed animal was a hero because of this. That's awesome. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And I don't know if I'm like, but you also grew up in a very inspiring environment then as as, like little tales that I I hear. Sure. Um, I guess an inspiring and also for better or worse, an isolated environment. I mean, the place that I grew up, I'll say it. I don't know if anyone listening will ever have heard of it, (laughs) um, was Lovells, Michigan, which is in the... Northwoods part of the Lower Peninsula, a.k.a. Northern Michigan. Don't let anybody tell you that's not Northern Michigan. Excellent. Um, The bus ride to school was about an hour and a half to two hours one way. Wow. Um, And for most of that bus ride, because most people are getting off in town, there are almost no people on the bus. There was usually nobody my age on the bus. Wow. Getting together with friends after school is a huge endeavor because somebody has to be able to drive them and then somebody has to be able to pick them up and um as an only child i spent a lot of time by myself as a kid yeah (laughs) and it was also yeah it was very rural we were out in the woods gorgeous you know pine and mixed woods oh gorgeous there's a river that runs through the uh backyard of the cabin that I grew up in. Wow. So, I don't know. I guess I also always had the sense, because we were quite poor growing up, um, that that, I was lucky in that that never seemed so important because we had all this other stuff. Right. Yeah. And, I don't know. In some ways, Rural poverty always seemed maybe a little easier to me than urban poverty because of that, because we were able to be surrounded by that stuff. And the friends that I had um, that were poor also had opportunities, you know, just to do free things like go out fishing or go out in the woods and do all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And it probably comes a lot from just me being more familiar with that. But I do feel lucky in that sense. Yeah. There's a different sense of exploration. Nature exploration versus urban exploration, too. Yeah, for sure. Um, I feel like I can see little Annalisa, like, playing by the river and in the woods and exploring, like, miniature microcosms of (laughs) of little worlds and um, developing these stories and stuff. Yeah. Do you remember any of the stories that you told about, like, the besides the dragon or um, what— evolved in your in your writing or your um how did that evolve for you um the first serious poem that I remember writing was in college but apparently because of course my mom has a clipping of this when I was in I think first grade uh we had a school assignment that involved uh writing poems and I think even though it was first grade and I'm sure metaphor isn't 
the word that we were using when we were talking about it, but I had a really great first grade teacher. And so we were talking about, you know, looking at something that's written and how something means two things at the same, like you're seeing this, but you're also seeing this at the same time. Yeah. Um, and so I, I had a short poem that appeared in our local newspaper, which is another advantage of growing up near a small town. Yes. <laughs> and the only thing that I remember about it, it was about um, a grandmother sewing. And I didn't have any living grandparents. And my living step-grandparents were nowhere near where we were. So this is also not something that I picked for my own life. I'm not sure where it came from. Interesting, Yeah. But the only thing that I remember is the description of the needle going in and out, like how it goes up and down in and out of the thing that this person is sewing, uh, like a dolphin jumping in and out wow. of the water. And you did that? And that was a first grade poem? <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> so it's kind of a weird image, but it's at least there's images there. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So um, when you, so after high school, you decided to go to college, and did you go to college for poetry then? Did you go for writing or? I, I mean, I think I always kind of planned on going to college, but specifically where I ended up for college, I went to college because I hated high school so much. Yeah, same. Yep. So, um <laughs> I think at that point, I probably wasn't even thinking, what am I going to do with this? I was thinking, I'm I'm free. <laughs> I'm oh, out for of sure. Here. Yeah. Um, so I went to uh, Simon's Rock College, which is part of Bard. Technically, part, Bard owns it, but it's totally separate, and it used to be its own institution. And it's a very, very small liberal arts college. It has, across four years of students, it has a total population of about 400 students. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, and it's out in the Berkshires, so it's also in a very, very beautiful area. Yeah. And being a liberal arts college, there's a lot of emphasis on the arts. Right. And everybody there, and I think this was a great idea, had to take, uh, for the first three semesters they were there, freshman seminar one and two and then sophomore seminar. And all the students took it. We all read the same things. It was all sort of, let's read a wide smattering of things from the classics. And the flip side of it was that all the professors taught it. It was not English professors teaching it. One of the best experiences I had was the semester where we read Dante's Inferno and cool. the instructor was a dance instructor. Yes. Super visual. Yeah. That poem is incredibly visual. Yes. Um, she ended up, even though my thesis was poetry, being my thesis advisor later. Wow. Um, and in one of those classes, we were reading Hamlet. I was getting really frustrated with the discussion that we were having about Hamlet. <laughs> I'm a very shy person, and I was even a million times more shy back then. So I wasn't going to say in class, guys, no, <laughs> like, right. you're getting way off track, and the things you're saying make no sense. So instead, I went home and I wrote a poem. The title of the poem was, I am sick of understanding. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically a poem about here is this crazy idea about Hamlet. 
and it's crazy. <laughs> um, and that was maybe my first experience writing in response to, like, I'm having this emotional reaction, and I want to get it down on paper and take cool. a look at it that way. Yeah, like expressive, like, had to come out of you. <laughs> yeah. And so, so the great. semester after that, I took a poetry class, and that's, I think, when it shifted maybe more from being that I might go into English literature in some way, where it would be reading or teaching or criticism, to more of the creative side of stuff. Cool. Wow. I love that shift. What a cool <laughs> shift. Yeah. Like, Hamlet's done so much for so many people. Yeah. <laughs> Discussions it, included. It, yeah, in this case, you can say bad discussions of Hamlet have changed my life. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and it's so funny because I think that that's many times what hap what's ha what happens is that we have to, we follow what our body or mind are are telling us. Like this is not what I like. This is not what I, you know. Sure. It's an edit out of of something yeah. that is considered maybe. Um, I don't know, like an accident, you know, yeah. but it, it shapes the trajectory then of, oh, look at where I ended up then. This yeah. is a cool landing, which is one of the things I love about, I mean, that's like a, I see that as very much of a creative trajectory is like following your, following yourself in that way. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose depending on your worldview, maybe it feels serendipitous, maybe it feels like fate, <laughs> depending on how you see those things. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Um, so then you entered into the into the poetry department. I don't even know if that place was big enough to have. We had a poetry instructor. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it would. I'm sure on whatever org chart it was, it was part of the English department. Right. Okay. Um, but being so small, we had one poetry instructor and one fiction instructor. Um, and yeah, so I started down that track of taking whatever intro to poetry and um, I think I also may have taken intro to fiction. If, if so, it wasn't very memorable. It's not really where my strengths lie, although I do periodically try to go back and do it because it's fun. Yeah. Um, and then also just taking lots and lots of literature courses still because reading is incredibly important if you're going to be a writer and um, being well-read. And if you're at a good college, and it really was a very excellent college, despite my complaints about that Hamlet discussion, sure. it was a really good college. Oh, yeah. That's just like one piece. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, having really interesting discussions and being able to to listen to other people's thoughts about, you know, I mean, this was where I read Whitman for the first time. Yeah. Um, who is absolutely my favorite poet. This is where I read um, The Tempest when I was a freshman, and I thought, yeah, that was pretty good. And then I read <laughs> The Tempest again when I was a junior, and I almost cried during class. Wow. <laughs> I was like, no, this is actually maybe the best thing ever. Wow. <laughs> um. The amount of faith in humanity that it must have taken to write the plot of The Tempest the way that it goes was just completely inspiring as I reread it. Wow. Um, 
I think I forgot what your question was. I just oh no, talking. that's great. I'm so glad. I mean, but that's like we we've had this a lot in the in these interviews, and you know, it's it's that it's that creativity draws from so many different places, and that it's not linear in the same way. And yeah. so there are all these like stories that kind of come out and pull yeah. our pulled around but yeah it was like what it you know what was the next step in in your schooling with with poetry and stuff and I actually haven't read The Tempest um uh so I'm gonna absolutely put that on my list because of (laughs) of how you were talking about it I I think Shakespeare is so amazing and I think well one of the things that and it's a little late in the season for, for anybody listening to this to be able to do it this year but um, the Summit Players Theater does Shakespeare in the state parks every year in Wisconsin. And it's really, really amazing. And one of the things from the ones that I've been to that they really get about Shakespeare is that Shakespeare is incredibly over the top. Yes. I mean, he is incredibly entertaining. <laughs> His comedies are crazy and wild and that's what makes them so funny right but his tragedies are also crazy and wild and that is what makes them so heart-wrenching and i i think there are a lot of movies that are made out of shakespeare's tragedies that try to make them very serious because they're tragedies right and they i remember watching um I think it maybe it's the Kenneth Branagh one, the version of Hamlet that's super, super long because they decided not to cut anything out of it. Right. And his biggest complaint at the start of the movie, and he was like, I can kind of tell that this movie is not heading in the right direction or the direction that I think it should, is that they've done a lot of neat makeup to make the ghost look like a ghost, but they have not done anything to make this ghost look scary. And... If this ghost is not terrifying at the start of it, what is propelling all this wild stuff that's happening? Later? Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But they want it to look dramatic and serious. This is our dramatic, serious ghost, and not our like, holy crap, my dad is dead and he's here and he's probably like poison is dripping out of his ears and his eyes are on fire and I don't know. I don't know what you do with it. Right. But yeah. you take it over the top because it's Shakespeare. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Well, that's really exciting. Uh, we it's, we should all yeah. go to those Shakespeare in the parks. Then. Yeah. It's super fun. Welcome back to In the Act. I'm Erica Hunsinger, broadcasting out of Mead Public Library on Mead Community Radio. We are talking with Annalisa Finke. Did I say that right? Finke. Finke. <laughs> it was very oh my close. Gosh. <laughs> I hear it so many different ways. I don't even. <laughs> Finke. Finke. Uh, yeah. So um, I love, you know, I. I think you have such an amazing sense of humor, and maybe that's why you're um, so drawn to to Shakespeare as well, and can see it for for that. And um, I mean, on our Slack channels because we work together, <laughs> yep. it's just it's so fun and enjoyable to have those things like rise to the top and like <laughs> um, uh, the um, 
I think it's okay to share this, but you have um, done some poem installations within this oh, building. Yeah, sure, sure. And I was hoping you would talk about how you thought about that. Yeah. Um, boy, I don't know exactly where the idea originally came from, but it was part of what I was talking about at the very beginning of, you know, there are lots of services that you can sign up for where it's like, hey, send me a poem a day or a poem a week or something like that. I get a poem every day from Rattle, which is a literary magazine. Um, and that's nice. It means that I sign up for it once and I don't have to think about it again. And now I have a poem every morning. So nice. I will at least do some reading. I won't totally laze out of this. Yeah. But it still requires me to be the person who gets up in the morning and says, I am interested in poetry. I already like poetry. I'm going to go out and find a way to bring poetry to me. Right. And there are so many people who honestly have have had negative experiences with poetry earlier in their life, generally in school, yeah. where it's um, taught very poorly in a lot of cases. Um, I feel kind of bad saying that, like I'm calling people out, but it's true. It's taught very poorly in a lot of places. And you come out of school not ever wanting to read another poem because you think that they're complicated and you got, like they're not enjoyable. They're work. They're something that you puzzle through and then right. maybe you get something out of it at the end. Probably not. Probably you just, you know try to guess what other people think about it and write an essay. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's um, an abstraction to it that yeah. you have to work for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's very little emphasis on the fact that there is supposed to be pleasure in reading poetry, even in the poetry that's complicated, but also that poetry doesn't necessarily even have to be complicated to be good. So I'll, I'll circle back for a second yeah. to the um, poetry on the wall thing, which is just that every Tuesday I tape up a poem. We have a very slow staff elevator. So I tape up a poem outside the staff elevator because you are likely to be standing there for quite a while waiting for it to come sometimes. And um, it's just a way for people who, whether they like poetry but just don't really bother to seek it out or just don't think about poetry or even kind of dislike it but it's there so maybe they'll check it out and yeah. and that'll change their mind because they'll see something cool that it will be there every day as part of everybody's just ordinary life there's a poem there um and from that i was just going to cycle back to where i've forgotten where i was oh about um this idea that poetry has to be complicated, and I think that I'm, I'm probably going to misquote it, and I may even mispronounce his name, so we'll be two for two here. <laughs> but um, the very, very most famous um, Japanese writer of haiku poetry, Basho, I think is how you say his name, um, I think sometime later in his life he was describing uh, how he saw his style of writing. And it was something like looking at the 
bottom of a sandy stream through clear, shallow water, wow. something like that. And it's just, there are so many layers to it, but they're all very clear things that you can see. And I think that um, haiku is actually probably a really good way to teach that kind of stuff because they're not puzzles. They're things that ask you to take the surface level of something and experience it and then go beyond it. Yeah. And I think a lot of poetry teaching skips that first step where poems exist on the surface level as um, works of art or as, as an aesthetic thing that you hear and enjoy the sound of and enjoy the images that it creates in your brain. And then they also exist on this level where maybe it also... Um, you know, pulls up these emotions in you or makes you think these uh, more complicated secondary thoughts about, oh, and this is also making me think about the relationship that I have with my parents or whatever. Absolutely. Or this is making me think about how complicated the the way that people from different cultures interact with each other is. But it's all coming out of something concrete at the beginning of it. Absolutely, yeah. And with the, the poems... You know, I think sometimes I get overwhelmed with like poetry um, books because one poem has so much weight to it and takes so much time. I think for me, takes time to absorb its many levels. And the thing I love about you posting the poems outside the elevator and inside the elevator is that it actually makes me pause my day and stand and have this um, – really beautiful imagery kind of wash over me, takes me out of the place I'm in and have a moment of reflection that I honestly wouldn't have taken. And um, they have a preciousness to them, which is so lovely. And I love the fact that they're just taped on the wall. Like physically, they're uh, um, ephemeral yeah. <laughs> and um, and replacing but the the images and all the words or some of the words stay with you yeah and then being in the elevator um is is a similar thing but you're enclosed in this in your own little space with the with these words and this imagery and it's um it's sort of like poem. outside inside <laughs> it's great though and yeah. i love that i really appreciate that that you shared your these your interest with the staff and um and creating an environment that um, invites people to take moments of pause and to be with be with these words and images. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I think as far as what you said about books of poetry, because I was thinking about that um, not too long ago, actually, about the difference between reading a single poem and... Um, going through and reading a series of poems by somebody. Um, because personally, I often find it easier, I think, to read a series of poems because it takes me a little while to sort of get into the mindset of the person that I'm reading. Sure. It isn't always the case. Sure. It, so part of, I think, when I make the decision of what poem to post up on the wall, it's whether it was one that was able to 
grab me right. right away. But there have definitely been cases where, and maybe this is also with poetry that is more surface level complicated, which is honestly not usually the poetry that appeals to me the most. Um, it takes me some time to get into this is how this poet is seeing the world. So this is five poems in. I'm starting to understand why they're saying things right. the way that they are. But that kind of poetry does demand more of an investment. Right, but me. then you're like within the environment and understand the artist differently. I yeah. guess yeah. that's a really good point because I think that the the last two books that I've read um, was a single person – writing her poetry and read through that. And it felt as if I were um, um, flipping through different pages of her life in some ways. And um, <clears throat> that's kind of how she wrote. But the other book that I read was like 2018 Best Poems of the Year or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, um, and... Uh, they were wildly all over the place and really relevant and amazing, but it was really hard to yeah. read it. Like, I think I renewed my book like three times so I, that I could just sit with what I just read because they were so powerful. Yeah. This is, this is <clears throat> kind of the problem that I have with literary magazines. Okay. Which are a similar thing in that you have – often a whole bunch of different poems by a whole bunch of different people. Yeah. Often it's just one. Sometimes you might get two or three by the same person. And I realized just earlier this year, I think, that I'm sort of forcing myself to read these because I want to be the kind of – I don't want to be that person who's like, well, I don't understand why nobody will publish me, but I also don't read any literary magazines. Right, say. right. But then I was like – I don't enjoy reading any of these literary magazines because it doesn't give me time to get into the the space of any of these poems. Right. With rare exceptions. Yeah. Um I don't know. How would you do how would it be different? What would you do differently? I was having this discussion um just started over email with um an acquaintance uh, of mine who is a poet um, and I think so if I if I were designing a literary magazine oh yeah this is Let's what it would look like so okay. first of all physically <laughs> it would look like those little um, pocket poetry books if you've ever seen um, Howell has a very famous pocket poetry version of it huh. but there's some others there's a uh, Mayakovsky little pocket poetry one, which they're um, what, what dimensions? Five by seven. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Maybe even slightly smaller, uh, and they're thin, just wide enough so that they can have an actual spine and not just you know the stapley stuff that gets lost on your bookshelf. Sure. Um, and then inside it, instead of having because there's space. I looked in Howell. There's about 50 pages in there. Okay. Instead of having 50 poems by 50 different people, you find maybe six poets that are willing to give you – I'm not 
doing the math here, like eight no, no. poems each sure. or something. And then you have eight poems by one person and eight poems by one person and eight poems by one person. I love that. And um, it gives people a lot more time to spend with each one. It lets you um, have something that you could just stick easily in your purse or your pocket, which I think is huge. It is huge, yeah. And uh, I don't know. On the flip side of it, I would be very flattered if somebody wanted to put eight of my poems in one place. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) For sure. I... I mean, I'm a big fan of of being a visual artist. I always have a sketchbook with me. And for the longest time, I only kept like a, a – it was like a three – I don't even think it was three by five. It was like a two by three <laughs> sketchbook so that it was so tiny <laughs> I could literally take it everywhere. Yeah. Um, and I love the idea that you could – because it's – that's it makes it a travel book – in some ways, so that you can take it everywhere with you, which means that you have accessibility to poetry wherever you go. (laughs) Erica, we could put blank pages (gasps) scattered throughout it so that you could also put stuff in it. Every person could write down, you know, their reactions to stuff, or they could write their own little poems in the back of it. Oh my gosh, that is such a cool idea. I I love that. that. Yes. And that's what brainstorming. Yes. <laughs> that's awesome. How is nobody doing this? Right. <laughs> well, and it's not so, but it's like, so when you were talking though, you know, the like those little like Shakespeare anthologies and they're like super tiny with like the, the word size is like, or the font size is like six points yes. or something. I don't know what that is. Yes. Like tarot cards. And it's all something. like onion skin paper. Right. And you're yeah. like, oh my God, I can't touch this. Right. <laughs> so bigger than that. Yeah. But I mean, they could come in volumes then. I mean, yeah. we could, this is, this yeah. is a doable prospect, I think. <laughs> you could be right. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I'm always leery because I know that it's much easier to have ideas than to execute them. And this is like is the tough. story of my life. <laughs> but. Well, I mean, it does that. I mean, so with poem, when you're when you're actually writing a poem, do it, does it feel as if you're uh, like you're just starting something? And, and or how is your how is your process of writing? Um. I really, really hate revising, and when I first started out, I thought that I basically didn't revise. Um, Paying more attention to the way that I write poetry, I do revise, and it's in kind of a weird way. Um, I usually write longhand. Yeah. It usually starts with either... A title, this is something that I usually do if I'm stuck. I try to just grab a title that sounds interesting and turn it into a poem oh. or a line or an image. Um, and then as I'm writing it out, I'm also kind of saying it to myself in my head because I need to be able to hear the rhythm of it as I'm writing it. And if I look at what is the first draft of it, in quotes, when I'm done with it, there's already a lot of stuff that has been crossed out and 
corrected. And I'm really revising it as I'm writing it. Like, I don't write a complete first draft and then go back and work on it. Yeah. I write a line and then I write a second line and then I change a word in the first line and then I write the third line and then I do a stanza break and I write some more stanzas and then I go, no, I don't want three-line stanzas. I want four-line stanzas. And then I keep writing some more stuff on the end. And I do do a little bit more regular revision now, yeah. too. I mean, I think it really is necessary, even though it's not always the most fun. But, um, yeah, it's a weird sort of almost sculptural thing of changing it while I'm creating it that I didn't even realize I was doing when I was younger. Oh, I love that. Welcome back to In the Act. We're here with Annalisa Finca. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I love um, when you were talking about stanzas and three stanzas or four and rhythm. Do you uh, do you use music at all to inspire you or other art forms that inform? How you work? Um, music, no. I don't know that I've ever, not that I am constantly talking with poets about this, um, but I don't know of any poets who write poetry while listening to music. I know a lot of prose writers who say that they listen to music while they write. I absolutely can't do it, even just calm, soft, instrumental yeah. music because it interferes with whatever rhythm is going on in my head that I'm trying to write. Sure. Um, as far as other arts, there have been a couple of uh, poems that I've written in res response to things, I guess I would say. Um, there was the one in response to the Hamlet discussion, but <laughs> one, of the, one of the poems... I think probably my favorite poem that came out of my time in college and my time at Simon's Rock, um, I was in my thesis advisor's office, uh, who was a dance instructor, and one of the books that was on her shelf, I was, I don't know, maybe early for our meeting or she had to step out or something, so I was just looking at the books on her bookshelf, and she had this book that was called Children of the World Paint Jerusalem, and I was like, what is... I don't know, what is that? And I pulled it off the shelf. It's from 1974 or something like that. It has an introduction by Danny Kay, of all people. Oh, wow. Um, and it was put together, I think, by the UN or something like that. Okay. Um, but basically, what they did was they just asked school children from around the world um, to create paintings of what Jerusalem looked like. And I'm, I mean, like, people from Japan and Mexico and Finland and just all over the world, you know, people who have no kids who have never seen it, who have only maybe heard what it is. Um, I think 
my guess is going to be based on the names in there that even though it was in all these different countries, that these were all Jewish children in these countries. So gotcha. they have this background of what Jerusalem is. Um, but then they're, you know, so like there's elementary age kids from Japan. And to them, there are cherry blossom trees everywhere because they want to portray it as a beautiful place, and that's what they associate with a beautiful place. Right. You know? There's um, there's an image that I remember from um, one of the Mexican children, and there's just a guy on one of the corners who's playing the fiddle, and he has a sombrero on, and it's like that's what makes a place seem vibrant to this kid. Right. So that's what they put in this place. And so I have a poem, and the title is just Children of the World Paint Jerusalem. Wow. And um, it's based on reading that and looking at all the various artworks in it. And what it tries to do is just combine all the strange images into one image. So in the poem... It's a description of Jerusalem, and it has all of these things in it. So it has, you know, this wild parade with a clown car in it and a guy playing the fiddle, and there's somebody, you know, throwing darts like it's a carnival, and there's a plane flying overhead, and there are people floating in the air, and just all the things that were scattered throughout the um, pictures, because they're all about one place, are now in one place. Right. It's a little surreal, but I think that a lot of the stuff that I write that I like the most is a little surreal. Awesome. I didn't ask you to my deficit to bring a poem of yours to read or if you remembered one um, that you could. And I don't know if I'm putting you on the spot. You're not because I'm the the kind of person who goes (laughs) home at night and they're like, is she going to ask me to read something tomorrow? <laughs> I'd better figure out what I'm going to do if she asks me to read something tomorrow. So I brought this. Yes. <laughs> I All right. I'm for people who can't see, which is everybody because it's the radio. <laughs> I'm opening up my tablet. <laughs> so um, this one is vaguely relevant to that because it's also the title of it is the painter and the fool and it's not based on an existing painting it's based on an imaginary painting great and you'll see what i mean when i read it but the painter and the fool if i could paint this is what i would paint tonight a great black dog leaping across the sky Body stretched the way a dog's body stretches in the moment during running when all its paws have left the ground. The moment when it decides against gravity, but instead to reach for the full moon, take it in its jaws and hold on tight while the stars stream off its fur like water. Now I see there is a person, too, standing on its back like a circus performer, arms outstretched for balance, a wild grin on their face. I am not the performer, not the dog, the moon, or even the painter. Yet here I am, standing in the moonlight, grinning like a fool. Wow. I love that. Oh, my gosh. Whew. (laughs) 
so now I'm I've got the the hairs on my I feel all jittery, funny. Oh, that's great. That's great. I what, love what that. was it Emily Dickinson said? Blows the top of your head off, the top of your skull off. She might have said skull. Yeah, I think she so. She might have said head. I don't know. <laughs> I get the tingles in my head when something moves uh, me. Yeah. So um I Well that's thank you very much. That's very kind of you. <laughs> well, and I'm not trying to be nice. Yeah, no. Um I Wow. Um, I guess I get I I lose words then when I get involved and into a flow sure. of artwork. Yeah. And um that put me there and so then I have a hard time talking afterwards. <laughs> so <laughs> you being the reader and me being yeah. the witnessing yeah. um and participant in in reflecting and being present with it changes changes my role in a way mm-hmm. in some ways. So um, I um, wrote this last year, so it's relatively new. Um, and I feel like when you when you write something like this, the question that you get asked a lot, this is just the question that you get asked a lot in general about art, and it makes perfect sense, but, you know, like, where did you get the idea right. for that? And... It's a really unsatisfying answer because I have no idea right. where, you know, I mean, I was sitting trying to write a poem and I imagined a dog leaping through the sky and grabbing the moon. <laughs> right. I love and it. And then once you have that image, you try to make it as concrete as possible because that's where you get things like the stars streaming off its fur. It's because you're not immediately leaping to, well, what does it mean that a dog is leaping across the sky? Or what does it mean that I am imagining being a painter even though I'm not? But you're just really um, on a sensory level trying to focus in on what does this look like? Because I really think it's always from the sensory stuff that the most interesting things emerge. I completely agree with you. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a reductionist, um, uh, what is the answer? Yeah. Um, Single single focus that people want to know uh, to help them understand something differently too. Like if there's one answer and it's not – because it's a drawing from so many things. There's a um, people talk about the aha experience with creativity. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it just came to me. Well, it didn't. There was a lot of prep before that. Yeah. There was you living your life and reading things, and everything sort of came together. Yeah, maybe, but the work behind it and yeah. the engagement and reading and writing, all of those things is the momentum to have those aha experiences. It's like, um, I think people talk about uh, um, like, oh, it's luck, but in some ways it's like you make your own luck. You set things up so that you can be more lucky in those things. And I I feel like in some ways it's a lucky experience to have those things sort of kind of come together at that time, but it's not that – there wasn't a whole yeah. uh, whole history of of engagement and thinking, feeling, listening. Yeah. 
I think you're absolutely right. And I think that that goes for people on both sides of it, for the person creating the art and the person experiencing the art. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, that's a good point. I remember I was probably in eighth or ninth grade, and um, we were lucky enough um, – we took some really nice field trips, I will say, the the school that I was in. Even though we didn't have a ton of money, I think the parents were really good about, like, fundraising and getting stuff together for that stuff. And cool. we took a field trip. I think we – this was the one that we went to Chicago. We were at the art museum there. So I was touring the art museum with some of my friends. The Art Institute of Chicago? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, – this is a long time ago. So if you if I say this and you're like, that person doesn't have any paintings there, <laughs> then I'm just... No, no, no. No, no. I'm not tracking like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember, um, and I had seen things by Picasso before. Yeah. But I remember seeing a big Picasso on the wall. One of those um, pretty well-known portraits that people probably think of first when they think of Picasso, where there are like different facial features that are going in different directions. Right. Um, and I hadn't ever, I guess, really dismissed Picasso before. I was like, well, people say he's important. He must be important. But I had never gotten Picasso before. I was like, okay, people say he's important. He must be important. <laughs> right, right. Um, and I remember being at the art museum and uh, looking at that and Maybe maybe it was seeing the real thing. Maybe it was the scale of it. Maybe it was being in a three-dimensional space. Or maybe it was all these experiences leading up to it that I just have no idea how they were related to it. But I, I was standing in front of it, and suddenly I was like, oh, this is amazing. I get this, and this is amazing. This is why everyone considers him really, really great. Wow. I am looking at this painting, and I am looking at the person in this painting, and I am seeing the person in this painting from, like, three or four different angles at once. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at a two-dimensional image that's representing a three-dimensional person by putting multiple dimensions in it's like mind-blowing totally it was a total epiphany and it was amazing and i love that experience wow this is why you need to go to the art museum and have these experiences <laughs> right exactly <laughs> see these paintings in person it does it changes it so much yeah. you feel it differently yeah and the fact and yeah i think you were you know what did you say something about um that it's also for the other, like you have to, for the listener, for the viewer, you have to be in the right place. And there's a history to yeah. be in the right place. Like you read The Tempest and what at one point, and then at the next point that you read it, you were like, yeah. oh, yeah, <laughs> okay. You know, and I think that that's a really important acknowledgement for us in in, from the minuscule to, to to large scale, it's like we can experience maybe the same things, um, and but they're they're never going to be the same experience twice. It's yeah. always going to have a different registering because of our environment, our associations, our history, yeah. 
where we are as a person. And this is maybe one of the advantages that things like poems and paintings have over novels. That it's a lot less of a time commitment to go back and be like, I'm going to look at this painting again. Totally. I'm going to look at this poem again versus I'm going to read this 500-page novel again that, <laughs> right. that I was only okay with the first time. Right. So a little plug there for the shorter art forms. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it is really important. I mean, because like, um, and I didn't really put novels in equation to music, but you have to spend time with music to hear it fully. And you have to spend time in a novel to hear it fully. And yeah, time sensitive wise, like <laughs> poems are like, oh, yeah, I got this in five minutes. Yeah. Got that in my pocket. <laughs> Done. But it, it can live with you and you can yeah. review it all these different times, too. Yeah, I love that time yeah. time association. Yeah. We'll add it to the selling points. We'll make it. Right. We'll make a marketing <laughs> plan. I love it. I love it. Um, so. So in terms of, <laughs> I know this is how we started. I just, I, I'm circles like, I want good. this to happen. I want circles. this to happen so yeah. badly. I want farmer's market poetry to happen. I want like impromptu yeah. poetry to happen. And I know that at one point there was, um, I think the John Michael Clark Art Center um, uh, connected with an artist and they did these. Um, poems in concrete. I don't know if they're around Kings Park. Yes. Oh, yes. I've heard of that. Um, and for a while, there was like some stenciling happening that would eventually wash away. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of stuff like that 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 um, it would be neat if the city does. I I also know that budget wise, this is a really difficult time to be asking any sort of public institution to right. be doing new projects. Oh, for so, sure. It's hard. But performative, maybe. But yeah, when you're talking about things like the farmer's market, that's not a thing that um, takes money. Right. I mean, I'll pay for the fake beard. <laughs> I can I can, get you can that far. You can do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's great. Uh, do you have another poem that you would be willing to share with us yeah, as we're kind of coming towards the end of our time together. Yeah, I will plug your website. Oh yeah, the website that I made last night because I was like, oh, I should probably have a website it's if I'm awesome. going to be on that show so they can <laughs> tell people I have a website. Yay. <laughs> Do you want to say that now? And then we sure. can like... Sure. Yeah. I just made it. So let me make sure I don't forget how you get there yeah how can people contact you it Annalisa is Finca. it is um and given that my name is very difficult to spell uh my recommendation would be probably to follow the link that will be in the description of the radio show okay <laughs> because otherwise who knows where you will end up you will end up at like Anne Elizabeth finchpoetry.com <laughs> that's not a place you want to be that's just all rhyming stuff about her pugs <laughs> all right let's see here. okay i will make you choose something new or something old Ooh. um mm, uh what's the time frame 
Like something within the past couple of years or something very early on? I'll, I'll pick something really early. Okay. Okay, we'll do that. Okay. So then I'll I kind of do- want both. I'm, I'm <laughs> sort of a... I'm <laughs> you can't make up your mind. I know. All right. So I will read Children of the World Paint Jerusalem then because it is one that I like a great deal. And um, it's probably from, I'm like counting out when I was 2003, 2004. Yeah. Something in there. 2000, 2003 at the latest. I love it because we kind of heard the story about it. So this is this feels really right. Okay. Yeah. All right. So this is this is another very visual one. So hopefully these are all things that you can sort of picture as you're hearing them. Children of the world paint Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a circus. The streets are a wild celebration. There is a parade, a green truck carrying flowers, and an angel with a trumpet the size of a child, and a little yellow car stuffed with clowns, their red suits pressing against every window. Then a procession of animals, a purple ostrich, a pink giraffe, a golden lion with a green head and a bright blue mane. On the sidewalks, people dance, skipping in circles like wedding reels. On a corner, Moses stands with his tablets lifted over his head, glaring at the Mexican boy with the fiddle. A man with one eye throws knives, outlining the flowing burqa of his lovely assistant. A red and white plane flies overhead. From the air, Jerusalem looks like a heart, the six roads threading in and out like veins or the legs of a beetle. In the plane, someone gasps, My Uncle Pavia, as light as a cloud, do you see? And someone opens a cage on the roof of a church and sends a flock of white angels soaring into heaven. Wow. And those are all images that those kids came up with. I mean, I combined them. I did do some work there that I can take credit for. But those are all images that those kids came up with. It's which like is kind sewing. of amazing. It's like you yeah. sewed them together. Yeah. Like the fabric of that. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here and talking with us today. About Thank you for having me. This was really fun. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> In the Act is produced in the studios at Mead Public Library in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. More information on the web at meadpl.org.